And I want to thank all of our supporters and my prayer partners across North America for their prayers for the Great St. Petersburg Crusade and also for me. Thank you. What do these words bring to mind? Opposition, violent opposition, persecution, religious discrimination, riots, a near-death experience, preaching, baptisms, many baptisms, new churches, discipling new believers. Does this sound to you a little bit like the campaign in St. Petersburg, Elementico? or Russian evangelism. I think we can say all these things have happened, but this is actually a description of the events of the book of Acts, chapter 14. Today I'm going to preach to you as the basis of my remarks from the book of Acts. And I want to say to every person here today in this church and those watching on television, the last chapter in the book of Acts has still to be written. The book of Acts is really the story of the acts of the Holy Spirit working through the servants of God. And I want you to know today that still God is writing chapters in the book of Acts and he's still using vessels of clay to preach the word of God. Before we turn to Acts 14, I want you to turn to Acts chapter 1, dear hearts and gentle people. Acts chapter 1 and verses 4 to 8. I want you to notice these words. The words of our Lord Jesus Christ are right here. Uh, verse 4 and onwards. On one occasion while he was eating with them, he gave them this command. Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you've heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. So when they met together... They asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, it is not for you to know the times or dates the Father has set by his own authority. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. The book of Acts is the story of the Acts of the Holy Spirit working through instruments of clay in preaching the everlasting gospel and winning people to Christ. Now I want you to turn with me to Acts chapter 14. This is going to be my main talk today, right here out of Acts chapter 14. The whole of the chapter, Acts chapter 14. And then we're going to tell you stories and we're going to have interviews and you're going to feel the power of God today. Verse 1, at Iconium, Paul and Barnabas went as usual into the Jewish synagogue. There they spoke so effectively that a great number of Jews and Gentiles believed. I want you to notice first and foremost this, that the apostles were preachers of the gospel. They were not primarily counselors. They were preachers of the gospel. The Bible makes it very, very plain that God's ordained means of saving the lost is through the preaching of the everlasting gospel. One man has said, I think it was Spurgeon, he said, when the church despises the pulpit, God will despise the church. Did you hear this? The New Testament teaches the supremacy of apostolic gifts in the preaching of the word of God. The Apostle Paul said in Romans, how can a person believe unless he's been told? How can he be, to be told unless someone goes and preaches? And uh, then he says, how can they preach unless they are sent? And these men were preaching the word of God with such power, with such blood and thunder, and with so much authority, with the anointing of the Holy Spirit, that a great number of people believed, as they have done in St. Petersburg. Please read on. 
Verse 2 says, But the Jews who refused to believe stirred up the Gentiles and poisoned their minds against the brothers. I tell you, my friend, there has always been opposition to the preaching of the gospel. And the Bible tells us that every person is called to be a witness. Did you know this? Jesus said, you are my witnesses starting here in Jerusalem and then in Judea and then to the ends of the earth, even places like Russia. We are called to be his witnesses. You know what a witness is? A witness is a person who tells what he knows and has seen. Did you get that? A witness is not a gossip. Can I repeat that? A witness is not a gossip. The church is filled with gossips. People who haven't seen, who haven't heard, but repeat stories to their own damnation and the damnation of other souls. But a witness is a person who says, I have seen it, I have heard it, I know it is true. And a Christian is a witness to the power of God. Perhaps the reason there is so little witnessing in the world today and in the church is because people haven't seen it and they haven't experienced it. They've got nothing to say except talk. But God's people are not called just to be talkers. They're not called to be gossipers. They are called to be witnesses and say, I know he is alive. He lives in my heart. Somebody said to Dr. Billy Graham, haven't you heard the new theology that God is dead? He said, how can he be when I spoke to him this morning? We are his witnesses. I'm here today to witness. Verse 3, so Paul and Barnabas spent considerable time there speaking boldly for the Lord. No preacher ought to preach a sermon that is reminiscent of the hymn, Whispering Hope. We are not called to whisper. We are called to speak boldly for God. Spends considerable time there speaking boldly for the Lord who confirmed the message of his grace by enabling them to do miraculous signs and wonders. And I have seen that. The people of the city were divided. Some sided with the Jews, others with the apostles. There was a plot afoot among the Gentiles and Jews together with their leaders to mistreat them and stone them. But they found out about it and fled to the Lyconian cities of Lystra and Derby and to the surrounding country where they continued to preach the good news. Let me tell you folks something. Whenever the true gospel is preached in the power of the Holy Spirit, there will be problems. I've met so many people who say, nothing happens in my church. That is because the pulpit is dead. The greatest tragedy is a dead man preaching to dead people. And another man has said, if the congregation goes to sleep, wake up the preacher. And these men, my friend, were preaching in the power of God and the Spirit of God was there and there came division into the church. I would be afraid to be a member of some churches lest I be contaminated by the spirit of coldness and spiritual apathy to Christ. But this church, my friend, when he was preaching, these people did not respond uh, in a half-hearted way some accepted and some rejected this is always true when the Spirit of God works the church will sometimes be divided because my friend people rebel against the Spirit of God read on with me would you please verses 8 and onwards in Lystra there sat a man crippled in his feet who was lame from birth and never walked he listened to Paul as he was speaking Paul looked directly at him saw that he had faith to be healed and called out stand up on your feet at that the man jumped up and began to walk when the crowd saw what Paul had done they shouted in the Lyconian language the gods have come down to us in human form Barnabas they called Zeus and Paul they called Hermes because he was the chief speaker the priests of Zeus whose temple was just outside the city brought bulls and wreaths to the city gates because he and the crowd wanted to offer, offer sacrifices to them. Could you believe it? But when the apostles Barnabas and Paul heard of this, they tore their clothes and rushed out into the crowd shouting, Men, why are you doing this? 
We too are only men, human like you. We are bringing you good news, telling you to turn from these worthless things to the living God who made heaven and earth, the sea, and everything in them. In the past, he let all nations go their way, yet he has not left himself without testimony. He has shown kindness to you by giving you rain from heaven and crops in their seasons. He provides you with plenty of food and fills your hearts with joy. Even with these words, they had difficulty keeping the crowd from sacrificing to them. I want you to know the great message that came from that heart that was filled with the Spirit of God. We're told here that the Apostle Paul, accompanied by Barnabas, preached the good news. The message of the kingdom is not a message of doom and gloom. When you go to church, you should not leave depressed. The message of the gospel is a message of good news. Christians, I tell you, and I believe I'm talking to a group of Christians, are to be the most positive, happy, energetic, enthusiastic people in the world because they are bearers of the good news. Would you like to know the real reason for so much sadness in the Christian church and so little witnessing and why some churches are dying? Would you like to know? It is because they do not have good news. They have the bad news of cynicism. They have the bad news of gossiping. They have the bad news of finding fault with their brothers and their sisters. They have never had a confrontation with Christ. But these men were preaching the good news. We went to Russia not to put burdens upon them, but we came to bring them good news. And the good news is that there's a God in heaven. Do you want to know one of the greatest truths? No. Is there a greater truth than this? God is. God is. God is. God is alive. And he has given us evidences of his existence. He sends us the rain from heaven. And we testify to the fact today that God sent his son into the world that you and I might be saved and go to heaven. And we've heard today the tragic news of the death of our dearly beloved brother, Pastor Elder Spangler. But we have good news. He's going to be raised and he's going to be in the kingdom. We believe, my friend, in the preaching of the good news. Verse 19 and 20, then some Jews came from Antioch, that's a hundred miles, they were so zealous to do the devil's work. Then some Jews came from Antioch and Iconium and won the crowd over. What does that tell you? Can I tell you what it tells me? Emotional instability. They were people, my friend, who believed the last person they spoke to. Haven't you met people like this? Would you like to know why there are problems in the church? Because people do not find out the truth, but they believe the last gossip they've talked to. And so here are people who are going to sacrifice to them as gods. And in a few minutes, they're roused by the enemies of the truth. And now they're going to put them to death. I tell you, my friend, foolish is the man who trusts in man. Don't trust in a crowd. Did you hear what I said? Don't trust, trust in a crowd. Don't trust in people. The Bible says, do not put your trust in princes. Are in the Son of Man in whom there is no help. The arm of flesh will fail you. Ye dare not trust your own. These men who wanted to make them gods were about to murder them. Can you believe it? Please read on. Verse 19, then some Jews came from Antioch and Iconium and won the crowd over. Are you easily won over? They stoned Paul and dragged him outside the city thinking he was dead. But after the disciples had gathered around him, he got up and went back into the city. The next day he and Barnabas left for Derby. He was a man, my friend, who had a near-death experience, but God had a work for him still to do. Verse 21 and onwards, they preached the good news in their city and won a large number of disciples. Then they returned to Lystra, Iconium, 
and Antioch, strengthening the disciples and encouraging them to remain true to the faith. If you accept our message, they said, and send your donations, you're all going to become wealthy and you'll never get sick. No, they didn't say that. We must go through many hardships to enter the kingdom of God, they said. Paul and Barnabas appointed elders for them in each church and with prayer and fasting committed them to the Lord in whom they'd put their trust. After going through Presidia, they came into Pamphylia, and when they'd preached the word in Perga, they went down to Italia. Let me talk about this. When England was being bombed by the Nazis and the cities were burning and people did not know what was going to happen, Winston Churchill spoke to the people and he said, I've got nothing to offer you but blood, sweat, and tears. I want to tell you when Jesus stands before us, he doesn't offer us ease. He offers us blood, sweat, and tears. To be a Christian is not easy, but it's glorious. When you set out to do the will of God and to follow Christ, my friend, then you are going to be assaulted by the powers of darkness and the powers of hell. I say to you today, if you're going to be a witness to Christ, I offer you nothing but blood, sweat, and tears. The Bible says it is through much tribulation that we shall enter the kingdom of God. But those who travail for Christ and who press on whatever the cost, those people are going to be saved in the kingdom of God. Let me keep on reading with you, my friend. Let me tell you something. No, I think we'll read on a little bit down to verse 26. From Italia, they sailed back to Antioch, where they had been committed to the grace of God for the work they had now completed. On arriving there, they gathered the church together and reported all that God had done through them and how he'd opened the door of faith to the heathen. You see, so they could be saved. And they stayed there a long time with the disciples. I want you to notice what a true evangelist does. He stays a long time. He doesn't quit. Paul and Barnabas were not fly-by-nighters. They are not like some people who've gone to Russia and they talk about a crusade two nights. And they get lots of wonderful pictures and they come back and they make a name for themselves and raise a lot of money. What hypocrites. A servant of God will stay a long time discipling the congregation. In a small way, by God's grace, we have been privileged to walk in the footsteps of Paul and Barnabas. We have seen in Russia and in other places opposition and persecution. We have not been stoned. Our affliction has been a light affliction, but we have seen the powers of darkness. We have been greatly privileged to proclaim the same gospel that Paul preached. We do not preach a new gospel in this ministry. We preach the old, old story, the everlasting gospel that God gave his own son so that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. We are not schismatics. We are not heretics. We are not members of a cult. We preach the same gospel that St. Paul preached. Can you say amen to that? We have seen baptisms like Paul in Russia, Ukraine, and other parts of the world. So far in Russia and Ukraine, we say glory be to Jesus. We have now baptized, God has baptized through us, 11,500 precious souls. Glory be to God. Like Paul and Barnabas, we have seen new churches formed so far. 30 new Russian, Ukrainian churches standing for God. We are now engaged in the most difficult work of the lot, and that is 
discipling these new converts, and by God's grace, we plan to stay. Did you hear this? We are not turning our backs on these people. We are in it, my friend, for the long, long haul. I want to give you now a report of the great St. Petersburg crusade. Let all glory be given to Jesus. I'm going to tell you what our great God has done and how he has used vessels of clay. Opposition? Yes. St. Petersburg, the city that saw the birth of communism, we had opposition to going there. The city fathers said week after week after month after month, no. Our church officers went down there. The president, the secretary would sit there in the mayor's office every day. He's not in. He can't see you. Come back tomorrow. Week after week, month after month, opposition. But finally, they said yes because God was doing something here. Finally, all the signatures, how many signatures, Pastor Norman? How many signatures did we have to get? Eight or more. Yes, eight or more officials all had to sign. Then there was the budget. How does a ministry like ours, which is not the world's biggest, just the most effective, how does a ministry like ours raise $650,000? We've had the Trans-Siberian Express, trip through the Middle East, on television and 300 stations. How do we do it? Three months ago, I had restless nights. I did not know. I wondered, is this the time when we are going to go bankrupt? People have said to me, God bless them. Why so much money for the souls of men and women? I want to tell my dear friends and my supporters watching on television, my church, this. James White built, a, uh, not a church, but his own home in Battle Creek many, many years ago. The home cost $500. How many dollars? 500 The brethren gave him an evangelistic budget. You know how much? $1,500, three times the cost of the home in the area. If we were to run a campaign in the Glendale Hills or in Pasadena in the better area, we need a budget. It is only if you're going to keep up with inflation of three times the price, $3 million. We're not talking today. Realistically, people, my friend, are still back in the days of the horse and the buggy as far as evangelism is concerned. But I want to tell you folks something, even though it's not a lot of money in the world, it's a lot of money for us when you don't have it. The hall alone cost $115,000. And so we had all this money we had to find, but the money came in across North America as we would pick up the mail from box 1900, and you can keep sending it, box 1900, Thousand Oaks, California, 91358. It came in Hundreds and five hundreds and thousands and ten thousands and a fifteen thousand here and there and a one hundred thousand. And I want to make an announcement for the people watching on television and to the church. I told you we would make this announcement. Here it is. All the bills are paid. All the bills are paid. And we still have a little left over glory be to God. Folk did come to me and they said, we don't think you're going to do it this time. We didn't do it. God did it. Then there was the equipment. We had to buy new projectors. They cost 55, 60,000 because the hall was so vast. We didn't have the money. I'm talking to you about real things. Pinch me. I'm real. I have to pay the bills. And when we found we could get the projectors, they were, well, when we got the money, we found we couldn't get them. But the projectors came just before we left. They came on time, the right projectors. Then we didn't have a projectionist. Oh, some of my blessed friends, God bless them. They know so little. <laughs> 
came to me and they said, just get anybody on the team to work the projectors. It's like saying, get anyone to fly the stealth bomber. They're having problems even with experts today, with planes. Another plane went down yesterday, six for the week. These projectors are high-tech. God raised up Donna Batico, who came at her own expense with a dedication such as I've seldom seen. Vallejo Drive Church allowed Pastor Ollie Olson to come and also to help. He provided the projectors and he provided the people. Now most of you have no idea, and that's good for you, so your blood pressure won't go up. What you've got to do, we had to ship 12,000 pounds of equipment over there. We're not talking about shoes and suits. or We're talking about the television equipment and the projectors. And here we've got 110 in the power. But over there it's 240, so you've got to have transformers. No transformers over there. Nothing works unless we get the transformers. The only transformers were in Jakarta. Indonesia stored there. We had to have them flown over. And Friday night before the campaign at 6 o'clock, they had not arrived. Locked up in customs. Locked up with KLM also. But Friday evening, they arrived. Customs released them. Usually hold them for two weeks. They released them. We have seen the power of God. The advertising. Elder Matiko went to the great television station. They said, we have never taken religious television. We never will, never will. But they saw our commercials and they said, we've never seen any like them. On archaeology. And for the first time in the history of St. Petersburg, religious commercials went on prime time. Miracle, 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 miracle! Will the people come? Now, St. Petersburg, my friend, is not like any other city. <laughs> I've been to Harare, Zimbabwe, and had crowds so great that they had traffic jams five miles from the hall. But this is not an ordinary city, sophisticated, proud, intellectual, rich. I wondered myself when I went over. I had restless nights. Will they come? Will the advertising work? It's only our advertising God. It's only our handbills. We've only got 200 church members. Half of them can hardly do anything. We have so small a team. But we've got television going. David prepared the television. We shot these commercials in Egypt. And on the opening night, the place was filled with 28,000 people and 10,000 turned away. It worked. It worked. It worked. It worked in the most sophisticated city that you can go to. I had the privilege of taking 24 meetings. I spoke on the Bible, the Creator, and Christ. I saw people come to God by the thousands. Paul got himself stoned. I wasn't stoned in any sense of the term. But I had what then appeared to be a near-death near experience. I need to tell my supporters across television these facts because many are wondering if I'm in the land of the living, and I think you can see I am. It's not done with mirrors. I had been under continual pressure, not for weeks, but for months. I had not taken a day off for months. I found it impossible. The phone would sometimes ring 20 times in the morning. We had problems within and problems without. We had problems in the church that you don't need to know about, that some of them were eating me up. Then we had problems with the, the Russian team. They had no idea what to do, had never done anything like this. 
And on the Thursday, after I'd taken 24 meetings, somebody took my blood pressure, which had been fine, but it was going up, 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 up. And it continued to go up until people thought I could have a serious problem. It got dangerously high. So they called an ambulance, and I was taken to a Russian hospital. I've described these to you in past times. That is a terrifying experience in itself. I was put in the intensive care ward. I was surrounded by Russian doctors who were good doctors, who started putting needles in me. I had some of my team there to check the needles to make sure they weren't used. I didn't want to get killed by the needles. They put a drip in my arm and they worked to stabilize my condition. They asked me was there something wrong with my heart because it was pumping so slow and so strong. And I said, this is the product of eating right and living right at running four miles every day. My heart was pumping at about 45 beats a minute. He said, is something wrong with it? I said, no, it's a strong heart, thanks be to God. Then came the Sunday night. Beverly told you a little bit about it. I had a young Russian translator whom I had baptized, Julia, there. No one on the ward could speak English. There was no doctor on duty. There was a young girl of about 21 or 22. When I told my daughter, Julie, I said, Julie, I was in the hands of a girl, just a young nurse of 21 or 22. She said, what's wrong with that, Dad? Is there anything wrong with me? But they took my blood pressure at 2 in the morning, woke me up, and it was dropping low, low, low. They had over-medicated me, and it was dropping real low, and it could have been dangerous. And so, not knowing what to do, the nurse tried to give me a, an injection, a heart stimulant, which I characteristically resisted. And she said, we've got to get your blood pressure up through Julia. Julia was crying, but I got out of bed and I got my blood pressure up. I got it up by running up and down the hall. They ordered me back to bed, but I was not going to face death by chemical poisoning. Or as Beverly says, by giving in. It was 2, 3 in the morning. We tried to call the hotel. Couldn't get out. Couldn't contact a soul. It's a very lonely experience. No telephone to work. So I sent Julia down into the street. Said, try to find a taxi. That's almost an impossibility. She went down. And glory be to God, she got a taxi. And... Uh, a little while later. Uh, my team of folks came. I want to thank them, and Beverly, and David especially, for the great care. David said to me, Dad, sometimes you're a tough boss, but we don't want to lose you. <laughs> Then God provided a speaker, young Vadim, who had memorized my sermons. We had him work with us in Nizhny Novgorod. He'd memorized my sermons. He took over the meetings. We're going to bring him out here. And he did great. We saw many baptisms. This is not an easy city because of arrogant, militant atheism, the birthplace of communism, once called Leningrad, but approximately... Today, I believe a thousand precious souls have been baptized. And by the grace of God, five new churches have started. It's not over. We're staying. We're not leaving these new churches. We're providing for their needs. And I want to give glory to God today and thanks to our supporters, my immediate team, my family, and my supporters across North America who've been calling to see how I am. I want to thank the It Is Written crew especially for calling. What do we plan to do now? We took a television crew which was a great step of faith. I want to thank Rick the director, David the producer, the cameraman, Dana, Bob Ludwig, all the guys, Don, who were great. We are going to produce a powerful evangelistic series and next year we are going to run 50 campaigns across the ex-Soviet Union using Russian pastors and our videos 
with huge television screens. Our aim is, our aim is this, 5,000 baptisms and 50 new churches. This campaign has been a glorious campaign. It has not been easy, but I'm here today, and God has blessed me, and I'm strong, and I'm well. Thank you. Now, uh, it was a, a very moving experience. It was the hardest time of my life. I was three days in the Russian hospital. I checked myself out after they had over-medicated me. Then I was put into the American clinic, which is a little American expensive clinic in St. Petersburg. And they gave me an EKG and they gave me uh, lots of other treatments, uh, oh, checking, and I've been back, and my doctor saw me yesterday, who was a Jewish doctor, a great friend of mine, Dr. Jack Gindy, out of Agoura Hills. Jack said to me, the reason you've done so well is because you're so fit. And I want to say to every person here, if you want to live, and if you want to be a witness, and if you want to do God's work, you've got to be strong. You get many, many attacks. Mark Finley said to me on the phone when he heard what had happened to me, because Mark was at a health institute himself and has arranged for me to go to the same one. He said, people say when you're running these great crusades, don't worry, just relax. He said, they're not the ones who are doing it. They say, just have faith. He said, they're not the ones. He said, I have faith. He said, I know the agony. I know what it is. I now know very much my mortality. My body just came to the place where it said enough is enough. But I've given it a good rest and it's ready for some more. <laughs> Beverly? Now Beverly Beverly has a ministry of her own. It's a marvelous ministry. She works the children in Chernobyl and the hospitals. And uh, when I was in hospital, she provided marvelous leadership in my place. Uh, she really shone, and she's going to shine now. Thank you. None of us will ever forget April 26, 1986 when a Soviet nuclear plant at Chernobyl near Kiev in the Ukraine exploded, pouring radioactivity into the environment, setting off the most frightening catastrophe of modern industrial history. No one really knows how many millions were affected. Since 1991, I have visited a number of children and adult hospitals where I've seen deformed babies, children and adults with leukemia and other forms of cancer resulting from Chernobyl. On my first visit in 91, I was horrified at the lack of medicine and medical supplies in the hospitals. Let me quickly add, however, there didn't seem to be a lack of caring from the doctors and nurses who had to work under these distressing circumstances. Happily, in the past couple of years, there has been a change for the better, although there is still a long way to go. This year in St. Petersburg, I visited a baby's orphanage in one of the first hospices in Russia. At the orphanage, I held and hugged babies that had been dumped for various reasons. Some had alcoholic parents who didn't want the burden of looking after a little one. Others were given away because they had incurable disabilities or illnesses. I can still see the face of a precious one-year-old sitting in a crib. He couldn't walk, he was blind, and he had a neurological problem. There was a big toy beside him, a pretty blue doll which made a happy sound when you touched it. As I hugged him and touched the doll at the same time so that he could hear the pleasant sound, he just smiled and smiled. I couldn't stop from crying as I thought to myself, here is a baby boy with nothing much going for him. 
but who could still smile when he heard just a simple, pleasant sound. We should always count our blessings, dear friends. The next week we visited one of the first hospices in Russia. The director was a beautiful young Russian woman who spoke good English and had done some of her medical studies at Oxford University in England. Her name was Nadia, and she told us the story of how she and some other doctors had been able to get financial support to run the hospice in the hospital. She then took us into several rooms to meet some of the patients, most of whom were dying from radiation-related illnesses caused by the Chernobyl disaster. We gave a Bible and steps to Christ to every patient. I took their hand and told them about heaven and how much Jesus had suffered for them. Yes, they were suffering, but there was someone else who had suffered for them. And if they would believe in him and trust him, they would one day live forever. And then I had a short prayer with them. I remember one very feeble old man who asked me, how can you believe there's a God? The doctor whispered to me that he had been a well-known journalist. And so, fortunately, I had one of our first handbills with us. And I showed this to him, the picture of Tutankhamen. And I said to him, you know, I've done some study on archaeology, prophecy and history. And I believe that there is evidence for us to believe in the Bible and to believe in a creator God. I had prayer for him and the other patient in the room. Who knows if the Holy Spirit was able to use my few words to open his mind and heart. As I left his room, I prayed that God might give him enough strength to open the Bible and to read John 3.16. Sometimes we wonder if we can make a difference for good in our little corner of the world. I believe we most certainly can. We can visit orphanages, hospitals, homes for lost teenagers on drugs, etc. in our hometown. There are so many broken and lonely people around us who need just a word of kindness and a loving hug. Dear friends, thank you everyone here in the church and also all of our supporters on 3ABN. Thank you for helping us to make a difference in Russia. person who held the program together and who did an incredible amount of work is Elder Norman Matiko. I want you to welcome him today. I want to say it's almost uh, incomprehensible to the average person to understand what has to be done in a great crusade. These are great crusades, equivalent, as Paul Mickelson can tell you, to a Billy Graham crusade with 1% of the staff. And then we're working in foreign countries that makes it so much more difficult. Elder Matico served nobly and well as the manager, and I want to thank you. Bless you, Pastor Matico. Please give to me and to the audience today your impressions. What touched you the most with the St. Petersburg campaign? You must have a thousand thoughts, but give us a few. Well, Pastor John, one of the things that really impressed me was the caliber of people that attended the meetings. The city of uh, St. Petersburg, 70% of the population have higher education. And here these people would come from night to night, very eager to know more of the power of God and what it is that changes uh, people's lives. And they would come early every night and they would be very enthusiastic. And then they would state and listen to the pastors as pastors would answer their questions and they would go home with peace in their hearts. And that was the thing that really impressed me and made me realize it was really worth the effort that uh, was being put forward. 
Were there many professors and doctors who came to these meetings that you know of? Oh, absolutely. And I, I spoke to scores and scores of them myself. Uh, you name the profession and they were there. And these were people that had a higher education. And one of the interesting things, talking to Vadim just a few days ago, because there the pastors of those five new congregations were visiting with Vadim the evangelist, every single individual that was baptized. And they told me that over 80% of those that they were visiting had higher education. 80% professionals having their PhDs, their doctor degrees and uh, all these people were so thrilled that someone was actually visiting them. In fact they were overwhelmed that scores of them would break down and cry to think that someone cared enough to come and visit them. We thank God that we have been able to work in uh, the intelligentsia center of that part of the world and we have seen thousands of these people come to Christ thousand baptized. And Pastor Batigo, thank you. God bless you. Thank you for all that you've done. Let me just tell you this, and uh, you won't be embarrassed. Uh, Pastor Matigo has been under enormous stress also. We're sending him away for a month's break. He had a health crisis himself this week and uh, had to be driven home. Uh, just too much. But I am proud to be associated with Norm, uh, as they call him in Russia, General Norman. <laughs> Pastor Niergaard. Pastor Niergaard and I, Pastor Jim Niergaard, and I traveled through the Middle East together. We've done this with his wife Joyce on two occasions. And Jim was one of the associate managers of the campaign. We're glad that you came, Jim. Tell us from your own heart, what touched you the most? Well, in my capacity, I worked very closely with the volunteers that were uh, helping out with the program, those that have come from North America and Australia. And it's just, it's impressive to me to see people that have sacrificed on their own, they have come on their own time, many of their own expense, and they have come for a purpose, and they bring the technical skills that are needed if it's running projectors or if it's helping with music or if it's just the mundane things that have to be done like cleaning a blackboard and the spirit and the the unity and the oneness the purpose and they come to love the Russian people and uh, when someone is not there I've had people come up to me the Russian saying where's so-and-so where's so-and-so we miss them and that is a very strong influence I know in influencing the people and warming their hearts to what the love of God is really like. Uh, Jim, you were a blessing to the crusade and uh, as a person who worked with the volunteers you had that opportunity to see them at work and we thank God, I want to say to the volunteers who came with us in this congregation and across North America, thank God for you Amen. because God used you to bring Christ to these people. Thank you, Pastor Jim. Yes, yes. I just want to say the highest point of the day was the baptism. Yes. And I was privileged to be able to be in the water baptizing the people and to see them come out, some fearful of the water. They've never experienced that before. And others just with the joy of Jesus on their face and when they'd been baptized and they came up. It, it, it's a life-changing event, John. And uh, the Lord has changed their lives and he changes our lives that are able to be part of that process as well. Praise the Lord. Blessings, Jim. Dear friend, let me say this to you. I believe that people without Christ are lost. And I believe that when people come to Christ, they're saved. And I believe that there'll be people in glory from St. Petersburg who would not have made it if we had not gone there with the gospel. If I didn't believe this, my friend, I, I wouldn't be doing what I'm doing. I believe that the gospel is the power of God to salvation. Mrs. P. Rhino. Mrs. P. Rhino is my secretary. And Susan, how many times have you come? This will be our third time um, joining you on one of your crusades. 
And um, we've always gone in the past at the end towards uh, the time of the baptisms because that is such a wonderful experience to be there, to see all these people giving their lives to Christ. So we thought it would be a wonderful experience this time to be there at the beginning of a crusade to see all the people coming and being prepared for baptism. And uh, so we were there the first opening night and what an experience that was. Uh, we were anxious, anticipating what the crowds would be like and uh, we were just waiting and as the doors opened, as I'd heard so many times from campaigns before, the people were literally running in and thousands and thousands were coming in and it was looking back and seeing uh, every seat being filled slowly but surely and all of a sudden we turn around and they're saying there's still thousands outside and they can't get in. And to be able to experience that and have my family be there and be a part of that was uh, one of the greatest thrills of my life and of theirs I know too. And we're just glad because this makes us more aware and we're able to see that the work that we do there and the reason for being there is uh, bringing Christ to these people and there's a hunger there. And um, we have a privilege of being able to satisfy that hunger and give them something to look forward to. Thank you. Thank you. God bless you. Thank you for coming. And so today, you've heard a new chapter in the book of Acts. The Spirit of God is still at work among his people. And we're going to do something now. We're going to bow our heads. We're going to pray together. We're going to pray for these new Russian converts. And then we're going to have a special offering for the 50 video campaigns right across the ex-Soviet Union next year. Shall we bow our heads? Our Father, we've got so many things to thank you for. We thank you first and foremost that we're here. Thank you for blessing my health. Thank you for bringing me back safely. And thank you that my report yesterday is a good report. Thank you that the gospel was preached in the city that gave birth to communism. And Lenin came there 80 years ago, but we went there this year by your grace. We thank you that there will be, we believe in faith, a thousand souls at least in heaven because of these meetings. How many more? We don't know. Maybe thousands. But we pray for every person who was baptized. We pray for the pastors. We put them all in your hands. We pray a special blessing upon the team who came and the team that stayed behind and stood by the staff. We thank you for the people across this great land who sent their dollars and their hundred dollars and their thousands because they have a heart for God and because they want to see souls in the kingdom and because they want to see Jesus come. And so, dear Father, today we want to thank you and bless you and praise you and give you glory in Jesus' name. Amen.